0: I'm Tanya Muhammad, and this is Act Two, New York.
1: Just being in
2: that space was like a 20-year dream come true. You know, Lincoln Center is the top of the performing arts venues.
3: I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know we're really working towards how to make it as safe as possible and to really keep the arts alive and going in New York.
4: To my peoples, I had to find a way. I traveled far, I traveled wide. I found few safe places to hide. But my peoples had to be free, and God chose me. See, my peoples had to be free, and God chose me.
0: This has been a very long year. It's simultaneously been quick, and I can't believe we've made it to December. But at the same time, it feels like we've lived many lives getting here. You need not look further than the arts in the city to get a sense of this strange time warp. The whole industry has been jumping through hoops and leaping over barrels to accommodate all the quick-fire COVID changes. Despite that, the large venues have been, for the most part, operating at full capacity. And although going to the theater looks nothing like it did in the before times, many would say they've adapted successfully. tours are back, the Rockettes are at Radio City, and once again you have the dizzying array of entertainment to choose from nightly. You kind of get whiplash when you think back to just a few months ago a time when you needed shorts and sunscreen to go out. The arts landscape in the summer of 2021 does indeed seem like another dimension. All these large, famous theaters and venues were shut, but shows were coming back, whether they were ready or not.
3: My name is Jordana Lee. I'm the Senior Director of Artistic Programming at Lincoln Center, and I am one of the curators that has been um, working on Restart Stages.
0: In case you didn't know, Lincoln Center is the pinnacle of arts and culture in New York. Homed in its vast campus are the Metropolitan Opera, the New York City Ballet, the New York Philharmonic, the Juilliard School, and dozens of other performing arts organizations. So what does the behemoth of arts and culture do in this time when indoor concert halls have to remain shut? They build upon partnerships, old and new, to figure out how to move forward in these strange, peculiar times.
3: At the very beginning of the pandemic, we jumped online, but our very first things, which happened right at the first week of the pandemic, being everything shutting down, was doing uh, both pop-up classrooms and concerts for kids, which was in response to, you know, parents all of a sudden having children at home and how do we give them a little extra support and how do we give a little joy and music into their lives in that moment. So we've, from the very beginning to now, we've been thinking about how do we serve all of New York and how do we serve our community.
0: In the before times, as beautiful as the Lincoln Center campus was, it was not a place you went to hang out at unless you were going to a show. But the concept of the green changed all of that.
3: That area where the fountain was, before we transformed it into the green, served when we had indoor performances, but we do not have indoor performances, so what can we do to not like just have this space be inactive?
0: What is the green, you ask? It's Lincoln Center's iconic Josie Robertson Plaza, with its famous fountain, transformed and reimagined for a post-lockdown New York. A pop-up park if you will, a place for cooped up New Yorkers to gather and enjoy being around each other again safely for the summer. The installation also acted as the physical centerpiece for restart stages. Lincoln Center's initiative to help kickstart the New York art sector and bring performances back to the hungry, art-deprived masses.
3: So The Green is by Mimi Lien. She is a MacArthur Genius Awardee, and she's actually been in residence at our R&D lab. And Mimi is a set designer and an architect. And, you know, we actually had a little think tank with a, a couple of different partners, designers, and we started to say, how do we make Lincoln Center more welcoming this summer? Everyone has been trapped indoors. We have this amazing campus. How do we share this with the community? How do we make it a space where people can actually come and relax and feel like Lincoln Center is theirs? And so we, we posed that question to a group of people and we had this brainstorming session and Mimi was part of it. And she had this idea of like, how do we transform the space for green? Thinking of like how you can actually have people watching. She said she's missed that, you know, like that idea of just being able to watch people as they come and, you know, enjoy space. And so she came up with this beautiful concept that really has invited every element of life being able to be enjoyed on the green. We want people to know that Lincoln Center is always there for them and it is always a place that they can engage. And so you don't have to come to a performance. You can just come and enjoy some of the beautiful architecture and some of the beautiful spaces on campus. We also have a grove of trees and Damrosch Park um, that are always accessible. So it can be a little bit of an oasis from our crazy city too. (laughs) It's definitely helped us become an even more welcoming organization. And I think that it's also a place where people who want to come and check it out. So we've garnered some new people to come and experience Lincoln Center. And we've also been taking advantage of that. It is at Lincoln Center. And so almost every day we've been doing a pop-up performance there on the green. It's great. It's great it connects to everyone. So it's been a real joy to see. And I think what's important about the green is that it's also a marker that we're not returning to business as usual before the pandemic. It is a way of transition. It's a way for us to move forward and for us to heal and to also reconcile and to find ways that we can make Lincoln center even more engaged with our community. So for restart stages, when we actually thought about like, you know, While we can actually go outside, we can have more than 50 people gather. We can actually have concerts and performances that we have this amazing resource of our campus, which is, you know, 16 acres and just amazing, beautiful area to bring all of New York there. So in terms of programming, we really wanted the programming to reflect the diversity and the complexity of New York City. So we've actually partnered with various cultural and community partners across the city, like Harlem Week, and to help us identify artists that we think should be performing at Lincoln Center, artists who, you know, maybe we don't know of, but our community partners know of, and they should be at Lincoln Center on our stages as well. And so we've been really working to having dialogues with community partners across the city so that when you come to Lincoln Center, you feel like you're in New York.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even though Lincoln Center has always had summer programming, this was something
2: entirely different. Uh, my name, is Donald Walker Kuhn. I am president of Walker International Communications Group. We are a boutique marketing agency that provides community engagement, audience development, diversity training, and social justice programming.
0: That's Donna Walker Kuhn. Her life's work consists of promoting the arts to multicultural communities via many of the organizations she started or been involved in. One of them is the Harlem's Arts Alliance, a partner of Lincoln Center.
2: You know, Lincoln Center is the top of the performing arts venues.
0: As the pandemic, eased its hold on the city this summer, many long-standing community festivals returned with in-person performances. One of them is Harlem Week, and the year's 2021 theme was aptly titled Rebirth, Rebuild, Rejoice. This annual celebration, which started in 1974 as a one-day thing, now spans a whole month with over two weeks of live and this year, virtual programming. Harlem Week showcases all the rich, diverse cultural history of the area through performances and arts and many other community-related events.
2: So Harlem Week is much more than one week, and it contains a myriad of cultural, educational, civic events that honor and acknowledge the contributions of the global majority to the arts and cultural uh, sector. And so for many years, Harlem Week uh, produces uh, various events, uh, where there's dance, music, uh, we do jazz, we do theater, and it's usually in Harlem, outdoors. On 135th Street, we have three stages, And we started talking with various cultural institutions years ago because it really felt that the footprint of our cultural institutions needs to be in Harlem. So it's not enough to just say, oh, yes, we support Harlem, but you have to be there physically. And so that people in the community can see what is the show about? What do the actors look like? And so we started doing this um, probably about 10 years ago, really being very aggressive, bringing in the theater and dance and music um, industries. So last year, during the pandemic, Harlem Week went completely virtual. And fortunately, many of the cultural institutions provided tremendous content programming that we could use to present Harlem Week in a familiar way. And so Lincoln Center gave us a significant amount of content That included educational programs. It included the Black Clown, which was a premiere at that time, uh, included music. And so it it was really great. And so again, talking for this year, we were looking at, okay, what what are the other possibilities? And I had been a part of the thinking with the restart stages for Lincoln Center. And we had talked about inviting different cultural organizations to present their work on these outdoor stages. And so they agreed that um, Harlem Arts Alliance and Harlem Week could certainly present a work. And what, what do we want that to be? And that's how we decided on becoming Othello. I just thought it would be a perfect piece to do outdoors and a way to introduce the work to a new audience. And so Harlem Week actually started with our outdoor performance of Becoming Othello. Deborah Ann Bird uh, has been part of the Harlem Arts Alliance uh, for many years. And I have been working with her for the past year in her various performances and helping her to expand her audience. And so it wasn't a heavy lift to think about which artists could really benefit from this or what artist has a work that is, you know, not uh, too complicated in design that we could make sure that it would fit on the stage that would have the power and command to engage audiences and to build new audiences. And so it, it was I think we all kind of came to that at the same time. Yes, becoming a fellow. Yes, let's do it. Those drums,
4: those drums resonate deep in my spirit and make come alive again those souls. The souls of my ancestors, both black
0: and white. The show chronicles her many struggles in life, starting with her multicultural roots in East Harlem, her alcoholic mom going into the foster care system, and becoming a teen mom. But it also tells the story of her journey to the stage and becoming a black actor writer, and producer for Shakespeare and the Classics. they calling,
4: and the slavers justified their cruel and greedy behavior by claiming they were saving the souls of Africans. Before getting on boats, mass baptisms took place so that the souls of their precious cargo would go to heaven if they died in the Middle Passage.
1: I was the writer in residence at the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. And that's where I started the journey to write Becoming Othello. And then I went to the Folger Shakespeare Library for a few months to continue my writing journey because there's a lot of historical content in it as well. During the pandemic, I was supposed to in 2020 do a run of becoming Othello at the Center at West Park. Now, when COVID happened, the Center at West Park went to the City of New York and asked them for a media <coughs> rights to the media. And when they when they did when they asked them for the rights to the media, what they did is they took all of their people who had a residency and gave them a virtual residency, which means you could come in with your cameras and do a one camera, two camera, three camera, five camera shoot. And so we were in the live theater under media contract, and we shot Becoming Othello live in that space. And so I ended up with an edited version of Becoming Othello, which after we did that, then many people wanted to see it. And so it's, we started showing it at universities. Different people wanted to talk about Becoming Othello, as well as they wanted to show the film to their students and their faculty. And so we worked all of that out. And it was really beautiful. So Becoming Othello was going out
4: virtually before we get a chance to be live. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I do not speak of flight or fear of death. I think the most beautiful part was the talkbacks
1: with the students. And then they wrote three-page papers about the coming of And some of them just actually just wrote of reviews. And so I ended up with about a dozen reviews from the kids, you know, and they were like really like, wow, you guys get write, <laughs> you know. So it was really lovely. That was wonderful. And I just was knowing that I need to just keep preparing for the live stage because it's going to come back one day. And so that's what I was doing. I was just biding my time and knowing that uh, Tina Packer, our director, she was the, um, the founding artistic director of Shakespeare and Company. She was really wanting to see the thing alive and she wanted me to have a run. And so she talk to the powers that be at um, Shakespeare and Company, the new artistic director, Alan Barrows. And Alan said, sure, let's do it. And so right before Lincoln Center, we were up in the Berkshires in Massachusetts at Shakespeare and Company, and we performed the shows outdoors on the Roman Garden Theater uh, for nine performances, except when they rained us out. And then we were able to go inside to the Tina Packer Playhouse, and performed the show there a few times. Sometimes we didn't have to show outside, have to show inside because the rains came. But it was really a beautiful journey. Uh, and it really helped prepare me for um, Lincoln Center. So it was just like all in divine order how it worked out.
0: So in early August, I decided to check out Becoming Othello, A Black Girl's Journey. Outdoors at restart stages for the kickoff of Harlem Week, put on by the Harlem Arts Alliance in partnership with Lincoln Center.
4: Sometimes I feel like a
0: as we've seen in some of the other episodes of Act Two, the outdoors brings its own unique challenges for performers like Deborah Ann Bird. I noticed um, at Lincoln Center, uh, a couple of times when you're talking about the city, some of the city noises would sync up with your performance yes. totally unintentionally. Yes. You know? yes.
1: So that Lincoln Center, I'm going to tell you about that, that beautiful challenge. So once the fire engine started coming through, I was on the stage and I, I would hear the fire engines and I knew everyone heard them. And I said to myself, these fire engines are not going to upstage me. We are not doing that today. <laughs> so it was, it was great fun to listen to the fire engines, to hear their rhythm and to try to dance within their rhythm while speaking above them. That and first set I'm of fire of engines. That's what I was doing. Hell, I'm damn near 30 years old. And then, when the helicopters came, it was just interesting, really trying to, en- I was engaging the best I could because the audience were deep as opposed to on three sides. At Lincoln Center, the audience was straight back and deep. So trying to reach my, not my voice because I was mic, at Lincoln Center, to reach back that far and be able to try and touch those people all the way in row M and N, (laughs) as well as A, hearing those city sounds and noises, I decided I would just incorporate it all and make all of it work because people came out to see a show and many people were there for a celebration, a celebration of victory coming down to the Lincoln Center was like a celebration of victory. You know, like all those days that I spent at the Performing Arts Library for the four years while I was at college. And I would be in that library and I would say, I'm going to come back here to Lincoln Center and I'm going to perform on these stages one day, one day. I'm going to perform at Lincoln Center. one." And that was 20 years ago, right? And so just being in that space was like a 20-year dream come true. And so a lot of people were just there to celebrate. And so I was not going to allow, I don't care if the lights went out, I don't care if the firecrackers went off, we were going to celebrate and they were going to hear that show. (laughs) It was great, it
0: was great. By the end of the summer, restart stages at Lincoln Center had featured over 200 performances, ranging from dance, spoken word, music of all ethnicities and flavors, arguably one of their largest summer programs to this date. Talk about making up for lost time. And for performers like Debbie Ann Bird, it gave them the chance to perform on the hallowed grounds of Lincoln Center. Now that's quite a comeback after the pandemic.
1: I mean, it just was a really
0: memorable,
1: and beautiful experience to be one, not only back in the theater and live again, but at Lincoln Center. And it made a big splash in, in my in my world to the people who know me as an actor or as a producer. Being at Lincoln Center was a beautiful, magical thing and everyone celebrated that day and that evening. And they're still celebrating and sending me messages. It's just really lovely. Well, I've known Deborah Ann for a hundred years from Take Wing and Soar. I've done most of the sample, for most of our shows. And uh, when she was getting ready to put this show together, she called me and uh, I went to work on it.
0: So how does it feel to be at Lincoln Center? This is
1: big. This feels wonderful. I finally got here.
0: It's amazing. It only took COVID to make it happen.
1: That, that's it, that's it. COVID in the ha- in Harlem week. That's what happened, yeah.
3: I mean, it's been very, very joyful to you know, call an artist to say, do you want to come and perform? And that's been amazing. That's been so wonderful to, and actually so many artists that we had to cancel, we found a way to book now. So like, it's been great to be able to bring them back to Lincoln Center.
2: We see this as an opportunity for us to really refresh, you know, how we feel about our lives, our community. How do we rebuild that, you know, in this midst of this uh, still ongoing pandemic, but also how we can rejoice On what we're able to celebrate how we were able to not only survive but thrive and so you know that's how we're we're framing harlem Week this year
3: you know we used to think further out we used to think you know years out 18 months out 24 months out now we're thinking month like a month out so it's been a very very different uh, way of operating too and thinking can we scale up or can we scale back in a moment's notice. So it's been very much about being very present, being in the now and also doing our best to communicate all of this uncertainty of the world that we're in to our artists and to our community and to our audience members so that they actually feel supported in their experience at Lincoln Center. So it's been a lot more work than we usually do, but it's also been incredibly rewarding to see artists, to feel audiences, to hear those, those claps during a show it's 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 worth it (laughs) you know after the summer we're going to take a little minute to breathe and figure out what is our next step how do we maybe do something in the winter or do we do something um you know again we're thinking so much about what is next summer and really how do we now support those organizations who have been you know more shuttered and how do we really support our constituents and help them come back inside so I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know we're really working towards how to make it as safe as possible and to really keep the arts alive and going in New York.
0: My name is Tanya Muhammad, and I produce the show along with Garrett Tiedemann, who also does the post-production, original music and sound design. Production manager, Gabriella Montaquin. Our executive producer is David Hoffman, who composed our theme music. You can hear all about Lincoln Center's programming on their website at www.lincolncenter.org and follow them on social, on Twitter, and Instagram at Lincoln Center. Becoming Othello is touring once again, and you can find the show info on Instagram at Becoming Othello. You can also find Harlem Week on Instagram at Harlem Week and the Harlem Arts Alliance at HAA Community. Special thanks to Nancy Cleaver and Desiree Naranjo and everyone who took the time to talk to me. I'll have more info on the participants in this interview in our show notes and our Facebook at actnumeral2ny and Instagram at at numeral two, New York, spelt out. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating. Don't forget to tell your friends all about us. Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. We tell stories.
3: Ooh. Mm-hmm.